Yeah, it really is a bit late. Okay, I have, Rabbi Goldberg was good enough to answer the questions that I sent him okay. last week, but instead of starting with those, I'll end with those. Sounds great. For purely practical reasons about how we break it up and post it online afterward. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll be able to post them separately with us. Okay, so, yeah. Last week, um, just kind of summar summarize, our main topic was Gemilus Chasadim. The Torah begins with Chasad and the Torah ends with Chasad, the Talmud tells us. The Torah begins with Chasad, as it says in Bereshis, Vayas Hashem Elokim Adam Ishto Kosnos Or Vayal Bishem. Hashem Elokim made for Adam and his wife cloaks of skins and he dressed them. That's Mal Bisharumim, that's Chesed in the Torah, and ends with Chesed of Hashem burying Moshe Rabbeinu. And that in fact, all the examples, what we learn from that, the Talmud goes on to say, is Mahu Afatah, that we are supposed to emulate the ways of God. And the examples that are given in, in that Talmud are all examples of how we're supposed to emulate him that are really all about Chesed and Kavod of the Guf, meaning protecting the body and protecting the dignity of the body. Um, which we said with clothing has two aspects, protecting the dignity of the body in the positive, so to speak, by showing kavod, showing respect for the body. Rav Hirsch's definition of beged is a garment which presents the outer appearance of a person. Right? It's the way that we present outward in our relationships with other people something of what's inside of us, trying to define how we're going to relate to people outside. That's kavod. And there's also the aspect of levush, which relates to busha, where we're protecting the dignity of the body by covering up the sh that which we are ashamed of, the animalistic aspect, which we now have allowed to gain more strength than it should have had. Um, and that kavod haguf is based on recognizing the tselem elokim, recognizing the image of God in every person, including ourselves, including other people. And that is, from that stems not only how we treat our bodies, but in general, from there stems the whole idea of chesed at its purest level. Is when chesed comes from recognizing the tselem elokim in other people, and we mentioned that also makes us a little more independent of how they happen to feel, how appreciative they manage to be about. Obviously, we're supposed to do chesed that the other person would appreciate doesn't help so much if you're doing what you would want and it's not at all what they would want. But trying to do what the other person wants, but nonetheless, if we depend upon their appreciation to do the chesed, that's perhaps a less refined type of doing chesed than when we do chesed based on a more pure aspect, which is recognizing the tselem elokim in others. That was, that's kind of the, the summary of what we spoke about last time. So this week, what I want to do, I, I wasn't, I hadn't originally planned to spend so many weeks on Malbusha Rumin, but I'm, hap I'm happy to do it. It's it, definitely good for me also. Um, I wanted to speak more about the, the function of clothing and how we relate to clothing, sort of as a whole. Um, and this is, let's start with Rav Hirsch's. I'm just going to take a few excerpts out. He has quite a long discussion of the, the significance of clothing. Um, and his, his commentary essentially begins with this point, this question of 
what does it mean and why was Hashem dressing them and dressing them in clothing? And why is that important? Because this is essentially our foundation for understanding clothing. It's the principle when you're, when you want to know, when you want to know the fundamental meaning of something, you look for the first place the Torah talks about it. So if you want to know what clothing is about, that's why you would go back to Bereshis. You'd go back to where clothing is first introduced to us by the Torah. From there, we'll understand the main ideas of it. So it happens to be a very useful tip if you ever want to know about something is see if you can figure out where's the first place, right? And then you, you tend to find out what the Iker idea is of it that as it plays out in all other places in Torah. Okay. So he says... Over here, this is really the second time. This is the second time that clothing is mentioned. The first clothing that was mentioned was the Chagora, that they, they, they put on some kind of belts, right? He says that was a covering for the lower part of the body. But here, Hashem says that's not enough. Why? Because Hashem said, Arura Ha'adama. The earth is going to be less fruitful. Its ability to produce, Arur is the opposite of bracha. I think we spoke about this at some point in the last couple months. Arura is the opposite of berucha, of blessed. Arura is with an olive. Let me find, I'll find you the part here. Thank you. Yeah. So this is Arura. Arur or Arura. The usual translation is cursed. Now, the problem with that is in English what the word curse means. So now we've taken a word, we translated it into English, but now it carries all the baggage of the word in English. That's right. So to curse somebody is to, is to will upon them bad and awful things because you want them to suffer. Obviously, if Hashem is saying arura or arura on something that he has created, it, doesn't, it can't possibly mean that he is lashing out, wanting somebody to suffer because he's mad at that. Like, it doesn't make sense. It's immature. <laughs> it would be an immaturity. Let, you know, even if I wouldn't claim to understand God's ways, it doesn't, it's not sensible. Okay, arura is the opposite of brucha, of blessed. So we've spent quite a lot of time talking about what baruch is or what bracha is. Bracha is that which... Is, is all twos, right? The base is two, the ratio is 200, and the chaf is 20. It's multipliers. Bracha is something which multiplies. So if, if Hashem says somebody should be blessed, we would understand that means they'll have more, more wealth, more children, more. It will be blessed, it will be more. When we say a bracha, when we speak to Hashem, right, what we're saying is we want to deliver God's will, and therefore... God will send more and more tools to be able to fulfill his will with it. So when something is in a state of bracha, it's like a feedback loop that keeps increasing. We keep thanking Hashem more. He keeps sending us more to work with. We keep thanking him more. We keep praising him with what he sends. And therefore, right, that's, that would be bracha. Arura is the opposite. It's like a negative feedback cycle where each time it gets less and less and less. It's related to the word uh, ariri, which is with an ayin, which is like barren. Avraham describes himself when he doesn't have children, ariri. Right? It's that which cannot continue to reproduce itself. Mm -hmm. So arur is this 
Okay, so when Hashem says the land, the earth will be, I hate to say cursed, because again, all of a sudden, bam, there we are back at the beginning again, what we just tried to take ourselves away from. The world will be arura. It will be constrained. It won't be able to grow and produce and flourish. And you can see that's the definition, because then it says, with great difficulty, you will eat from the earth, and thorns and brambles will grow, and you'll have... It won't produce the way it should. Now, what Rav Hirsch says is it wasn't just, that's the, the prime aspect of it, is that the earth will not produce food the way it did. I don't know if you know the way it did. The way it did was you didn't have to process bread. That's why you didn't have, by the sweat of your brow, you'll eat bread. Mm-hmm. If things just grew, you could eat it, right? You took wheat, wheat grew, that was your bread. There was no need to do more to it. Mana, man, yeah. right? Mana is like going back to a state of Eden where the food is just falls ready. Okay? So but now it's gonna you're gonna have to work on it. It's not blessed. It doesn't have that aspect of blessing now. Okay. But Rav Hirsch says it was more than that. It was nature as a whole. It's not just the ground and how it's producing that Hashem was talking about. It was supposed to be what we would call paradise, right? Mm-hmm. Pardes, they were living in Gan Eden. They didn't need clothing also because the weather didn't require it. The weather was gentle. Nature was gentle. It was a warm, welcoming, comfortable, safe environment in which to serve Hashem. And now, Arura Ha'adama. The earth is Arura. And it's going to be inclement. And sometimes it'll be too cold. And sometimes it'll be too hot. It won't have that perfection. Okay. So that Hagora, the, they, they had a good idea. Cover the bottom of their clothing. It's a good start. But nature has now, he says, become raw. When Hashem said, Arura Ha'adama, nature becomes raw. becomes harsher. So clothes receive a double importance. Clothes are requirements for protection against the consciousness of shame. And they're also protection against nature, against cold, against heat, too much sun. It's both. So there's a physical aspect to clothing, and there's a spiritual aspect to clothing. And Hashem, in giving us this extra set of clothing, we made Chagorot, people made Chagorot, Hashem giving us physical clothing gives spiritual meaning to the clothes. It addresses the whole picture, and in reference of both of these meanings, it serves to educate mankind to win it back to its original condition. This is what we really spoke about at the beginning of brachos, that each of these brachos is an area in which Hashem has given us a way to be educated and back to tshuva, to a state of perfection, to undo and to return back the damage done in Gan Eden. That's the ultimate ke'ula. In the ultimate ke'ula, we get back to a pre-sin state of humanity. That's what we're aiming for. So we got to do our part here. So these blessings, remember, we're thanking Hashem for the opportunity, for teaching us, for showing, giving us tools and, and opportunity to return to him, not just casting us out like a snake. So, covering our bodies, it reminds us of being something higher than an animal. And in protecting us from nature, 
it reminds us that the world is not what it was originally supposed to be and that that's because of us. We're the one who has to wear the clothing, mm -hmm. right? Not nature. <laughs> We're the one who has to wear the clothing because we've damaged something. And so now, you know, you, you open the airlock and you let in the vacuum of space and you let all the air out, you gotta wear the spacesuit now. Your clothing tells you that you are a man, but that's with a capital M. So it doesn't mean a male member of the species, right? You are human. And that the animal within you is not to be the ruler. And it tells you that the world about you, in spite of all inventions, is not yet paradise. So we have iPhones and we have air conditioning and we have fans and heaters. The world is not paradise. And the clothing that we feel on our bodies reminds us of those two things. Now, then he transitions, refers to the discussion of chesed. We've already talked about the background of that. And this is where Rav Hirsch, I mean, another, yet another just genius pulling the pieces together. Because right now, what we've learned are two separate things. We learned about clothing in a purely egocentric way. I have become more animalistic. I have an animal nature, which I need to cover. I need to keep it in its place. I need to try and reveal only the parts of me that are more human and less animal. I need to show the dignity of my tzalem elokim. And we've learned about chesed, looking at other people, seeing the godliness in other people. And what Rev Hirsch says is, don't you realize the importance of what, what bridges the egocentric view and the external view, looking at others? The fact that I have been lowered, that my physicality has been lowered and therefore now needs to be covered. When I try and compensate for that, okay, that's selfish. I mean, it might be correct, but it's taking care of myself. And when I do it for someone else, it's divine. I'm emulating Hashem. The Torah begins with chesed and ends with chesed and teaches us that we are to walk in God's ways and emulate him. And just as he dresses the naked, we should dress the naked. And he visits the sick and we should visit. If we do it for ourselves, maybe it was a good thing to do. Could be. If we do it for someone else, we become like him. He dressed Adam and his wife. He gave them clothes and dressed them. Okay. So I'm going to read you some of his sentences here. Everything which, when done selfishly for ourselves, makes us lower to the degree that it's selfish, becomes divinely great when done for others. Slaving away, by the sweat of our brow, straining one's strength to provide bread and happiness for others, is, according to Jewish ideas, the greatest likeness to God that man exercises. Even as God showed you that he clothed the naked, healed the sick, comforted the troubled, buried the dead. So shall you likewise clothe the naked, heal the sick, comfort the afflicted, bury the dead. This is the conception and principle of Jewish love of fellow man, of Gemilus Chasadim. Thus the hardship of life and the need for assistance, the fact that none of us can do it on our own, that we see others who need and we ourselves need. We also are not fully independent. It becomes the basis on which everybody who so wills can elevate himself to godlike heights. That's incredible. <clears throat> <laughs> it's worth dwelling on. 
right? Maybe not only in here, but also out, right? The fact that I have a need, I perceive that as being bad. But the truth is the fact that I have needs, first of all, is the opportunity for someone else to become godlike. And it's also the opportunity for me to receive from Hashem and be filled up through him and not just through myself. So elsewhere in the 19 letters, Rav Hirsch writes about the world being created with chesed. Olam chesed yibane. The world is created with chesed. He says what that means is everything needs to receive from everything in creation requires gifts of other parts of creation in order to live, but everything in creation also provides for other elements in creation. None of us is able to fully provide. No flower, no person, no bumblebee can, can live in its own vacuum. Mm -hmm. We all have things we can't provide for ourselves, but we all have something that we provide for others. That's Olam Chesed Yibane. This is, this is Chesed. This is the greatness. And this is the opportunity to emulate God. This is where our opportunity comes from the fact that he has made us lacking. That's the bracha. After we eat foods, right, that aren't, aren't benching and aren't al hamichya. Bori nefashos rabos vechesronan. Thank you, Hashem, for making all different types of souls the chesronan, and making them all lacking. You made them lacking. Now that's like, that's weird. Why would you remind yourself of that? That's like saying, right, you, people will ask this question. They'll say, a person says, thank you, Hashem, for saving me in the car accident. And who made you get into the car accident? Thank you, Hashem, for taking us out of Mitzrayim. And who put you into Mitzrayim? It's a cynical question. I, I'm not saying I'm asking it. But when someone asks that question, do, don't they have a point? There's a point. And the fact is, we don't hide from that question. This is what we praise Hashem for. Thank you, Hashem. Baruch Atah Hashem. Elokeinu Melech Olam. Borei Nefashos Rabos Vechesronan. Thank you for creating all different souls, all different kinds of, of creatures in the world, Vechesronan, and make them lacking. Thank you for that. Everything you created, so that you could give life to them. Thank you for making me imperfect and not fully independent so that there would be room for you to provide for me so I could have a flow of blessing from you. I'll be connected to you. And thank you. I, you know, it's not correct for me to thank you for making other people lacking because that's, like, not sensitive. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that's my opportunity to give. And I don't have to feel so bad. If there's something I need and somebody else is providing for me, do I have to feel ashamed that I had to receive? Or could I be gracious about it? And know that it's, it's good for them to give too. That's OK. It's more than OK. This is how God lets us. This is astonishing. It is a piece of profound wisdom on the part of our sages when they associate the teaching, the lofty conception of Gamilos Chasadim, just here with the departure from paradise. For without the need for assistance, which thereby began for mankind, we would hardly know where there would be any opportunity for the practice of Gamilos Chasadim. If we hadn't sinned and we hadn't left Eden, and if the world had been perfect and we had been perfect, where would there be any chance to do Chasad? Whoa. So in other words, if, if, if there was no sin, Adam and Chava would not have been able to do any Chasad for anyone or any... Um, any of their uh, items that was created by Hashem? 
He doesn't go quite so far as to say it would be impossible. He chooses words pretty carefully, Ravarsh. He says, we would hardly know where there would be any opportunity. Is he saying there would not have been any opportunity? I don't know. He's kind of saying, hard to say what there would have been if no one had any needs. Everything's perfectly provided for with no hard work. It's an, it's an incredible insight. It's a humbling one. <laughs> it means not denying the fact that we sometimes are in trouble, but also recognizing that in some ways that's the ultimate chesed. Being able to accept and recognize that we are vulnerable and we are imperfect and we might need help, turning to Hashem for help, and also looking for opportunities. Instead of seeing someone else who is in need or who needs help, as being never seeing, realizing that a Kaddish Baruch who's giving me an opportunity. It's a real opportunity so to emulate mean, him. This means that if you have around, I mean, anybody, you have around yourself some people who are of those shortcomings, this means it's an opportunity for me to do some chesed and then I grow myself through that. You grow and you have a chance to do chesed. Because if we think, wait a minute, every time I'm in need, who do I turn to? What I want to do is turn to Hashem and He will provide. He might provide directly, but the normal way of the world is He'll provide through a person or circumstance around me, right? Now, in that other person's world, when they turn to Hashem for help, if I'm the tool to deliver God's chesed to them, that's awesome. That's amazing. That's emulating. I'm going in the way of Hashem. That's amazing for me to have the, the, the opportunity to be that for them. That's incredible. It, it touches back on what we spoke about, about Selim Elohim, meaning when we see the other person's need and our ability to do something for them as here's a chance for me to emulate Hashem, then again, it's not really about the other person's appreciation of it. That's not what's behind my actions. Because it's true, my first reaction might be, oh, no, not again. It doesn't have to, it could be somebody within the family, you know? The kid who's waking up the third time, the fourth time at night. Oh, my gosh, not again, right? Now, if I can put myself, now, it could be that kid needs, I don't know, so maybe a firmer hand about sleeping, or, or maybe they're going just through a hard time, you know? Sometimes the kid is sick. And they're waking up. What could they do? You know, they need the help. But if I can reframe that for myself and say, you know, Hashem visits the sick, really I'm lucky to be able to have a chance to take care of somebody when they're sick. I could remember when I was sick and my mother came and helped me. I could remember how that felt when my father read a story to me when I was in bed and I was so sick I couldn't even read a book myself. It was a cozy, secure, warm feeling. It made me feel so protected and safe and more comfortable. So I would like to be that for my child, right? I, I can remember how it felt to have someone do that for me. And I, want, I, would, I would like to be that. I would like my children to remember that I was that for them too, right? So then it's not dependent on whether they say thank you or just keep crying <laughs> or wake up again, right? This is more between me and Hashem than even our even our Ben Adam could be really in a way Ben Adam Yeah. 
<laughs> Sometimes we have to make it be that way in order to get by. <laughs> but that's not bad. It's just another layer of avoda that goes into it on top of doing the chesed. Now there's another layer of how we think about the chesed and relate to it. But sometimes you need to do that, and sometimes that's a really, really good thing. In the end, in a way, we're all our own world, right? And it's just me and God. I mean, I see that you're here, but in a way, it's, you know, it's kind of both. Which makes sense. If a person is a Tzalem Elohim in my eyes, so it's not so crazy that my Bein Adam has an element of Bein Adam L'Makom to it. Okay. This, I mean, this line to me, thus the hardship of life, the need for assistance, has become the basis on which everybody who so wills can elevate himself to godlike heights. It's just amazing. <laughs> it's difficult to move on from that. I'm sorry. Okay, we probably should move on, but it's hard for me to let go of that one. Okay. Okay, so... There's a few different words. I'm not going to go through all of them. There's, there's beged, there's lavush, there's kisus, there's simla. There are a lot of different words for clothing. The two big ones are beged and lavush, um, both of which mean clothing. Lavush, which is over there, the second one, is actually related to the word busha. Busha is shame, right? So lavush protects against the consciousness of shame, right? Vayal be shame. God clothes them is that he covered up our busha. And we mentioned that busha is, what, what is shame? What is busha? Busha, it's not what other people say. Busha is having an awareness of my imperfections or of my sins. Having an awareness. awareness. Busha is that a feeling of awareness of my imperfection or my sin. So for example, um, Adam says to Hashem, I saw that I was unclothed, and so I hid, right? I, I, beforehand, I didn't know there was anything to be ashamed of. Now I've achieved a level of busha, I, right? Adam has sinned, and he then becomes aware of it and feels a need to hide himself. So when a person feels ashamed, they feel like they want to hide. They don't want everyone looking at them in their shame. Right. It's a feeling of, oh my gosh, I'm aware that there's like imperfection in me, there's sin in me, there's badness, whatever it is, and wanting to cover that. That's kind of the element of covering up the animal power of the body and saying, no, 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 you should be less. You should be serving the soul, not, not the one that's out there. Okay. But it's also related to the meat of Tzniyas. When we say that you recognize the descendants of Avraham Avinu by three qualities, that are inherent, that genetically passed on. Rachmonim, merciful. Baishonim, full of shame. What? Vigom chasadim, and we do chesed. This is all really very interrelated now, we know, right? Well, what does it mean, baishonim? It means we have a sense of tzniyas. We, we are capable of feeling a sense of shame when we do something wrong, rather than just brazenly going on and not minding. It's a positive thing to feel the shame if it's deserved, <laughs> if you really have messed up, it's a very good thing if you can feel shamed because that's your starting point for going forward and trying to fix it and making it different. So Rav Yerucham says, Midas habusha, the quality of busha, of being able to feel that sense of, of shame, 
is mala chashuva hino rameod. It is an, an important, elevated, and awesome quality. The ikr shame of a person, though, is only from that which is bad in him. Not, you know, being ashamed is only because you believe that you, there's something bad showing. <laughs> there's something bad in you that's showing to yourself or to someone else. You're aware of it, right? If the bad wasn't there, there wouldn't be room for the busha. Busha is an awareness of that which is not right, mm -hmm. which means that if there were nothing that weren't right, if everything was right, there wouldn't be busha. That's why Adam had no busha before the sin. Because if there wasn't something bad, there isn't busha. It's only when there's a sense that there's something wrong that we have the sense of busha. And this is the concept of levush. Malbushim are levush of the guf. We quoted the shla before. Malbushim, clothing are the clothing of the body. Garments are the clothing of the body. <clears throat> the body is the clothing of the soul. Taras hamabushim yaore taaras haguf. He says having tahor clothing, garments, helps arouse and stimulate purity of the body. Tahara of clothing mm -hmm. helps awaken tahara of the body, and tahara of the body helps awaken tahara of the soul. This is like. This is a whole different way of learning about sneas that is possible. <laughs> it's not only standing on a soapbox and shouting about what terrible things happen, right? There's a, there's a whole side where you could desire sneas. You could desire to emulate God. You could desire to have people see you as a person of thought and intellect and, and choice and not animalistic. You want people to see the spiritual side of you. There's a side of you that can say, I want to be a more Tahor person. Oh, thank, here's, a, here's a way to that. Tahara in my clothing can help me with Tahara of my body, which can help me with Tahara of my soul. I want that, right? We can, it, it can be aspirational, Tzniyas, mm -hmm. <laughs> so to speak. Okay. And again, kind of touching back on, on a, a point we've made before, that the soul which God has put into me is pure, and there's a foundation of that under everything else about myself and how I understand myself. Being able to feel busha and shame for what I've done wrong, feeling my clothing upon my body, that awareness that I always have, this sort of even subconscious, I'm not always thinking about it every minute, but the subconscious awareness of the feeling of clothing on my body should be an awareness that what I do really matters. Ultimately, when I feel that my clothing is there, you know, when, the, when something moves too far, you really feel that it's not there. You could even, I mean, not, not to be like Dafgan Sneas, if you wear a ring all the time, so at the beginning, it feels funny and you keep noticing it. After a while, you don't notice it, but if you take it off, you feel like you're missing something. What that proves to you is that there constantly was some degree of awareness in your mind of the ring. And the same thing with your clothing, which you usually only notice if it changes. It goes too far up or too far down or twists or something. You know, you wake up at night, your nightgown is wrapped around your knees, right? Then you notice that it's there. If you, don't, if you don't notice it, it's because some part of your mind is monitoring it and feeling that. That awareness, what it's supposed to be, is an awareness that what I do really matters. If it didn't matter, there would be no pusha, there would be no lavush. It's because what I do matters and what I do 
has the ability to be tahor and to be divinely emulating. That's the awareness that I could have from my clothing when I feel it. Okay. On a cheerful note, Rabbi Victor Miller says, okay. we've heard Rabbi Goldberg say from his teachers that a person should really always be dressed in a way that is respectful and, and, and good-looking and clean at all times. And that we talked about also last time, about how people see us. Rabbi Victor Miller says, talk about constant, constant awareness, the way clothing can make you aware of something. He says, Moshiach is coming at any moment. When we have awareness that at any moment our salvation is really there and we're waiting for him, even though he's delaying, every day I'm waiting for Mashiach to come. So really every day we should be dressed in mechubad, clean clothing. Because if at this moment is the moment the shofar sounds, I'm fit. It's an astonishing way of thinking and it's logical. It's logical, but it it's like, you know, when someone opens up a window and a bunch more light pours in. We're still sitting here. We're still wearing the clothing. We're dressed sneeze. A whole new window of opportunity of how we think about our clothing and think about what it means to be, to have the confidence that Mashiach is coming the same way we know Shabbos is coming. You know, like, I do cook for Shabbos because it's coming. It's coming. Mashiach is coming. When I get dressed... I would dress differently if I know Mashiach is coming. In the same way that I cook differently when I know Mashiach, that Shabbos is coming. Rav Hirsch says about the word beged, which he says, a beged, okay, a beged is a garment which presents the outer appearance of a person. It has to do with the honor of the body, kavar haguf, right? Dressing in a way that, like we said, you know, we, we know like wearing certain brands or wearing certain styles, right? It adds honor to the body. So this is how we present our relationship out to the world. So he says, a bogade is a traitor. He says, why is bogade a traitor? What does that have to do with clothing? A bogade is somebody who presents an appearance, and so we think we know who this person is, and really he's someone else entirely. A traitor, someone who betrays you, right? He has presented to you one whole appearance. That's what clothing does. It presents an appearance to the world. Now, what it's supposed to do is be consistent with what's inside, right? But a bogade, a traitor, is someone who, who utilizes that aspect of bigud, of clothing, to present something that's completely different from who they really are. And tearing clothing from pain or grief is a representation that there has been a tear in our relationship with others. Something has been broken or torn. And that's why the garment, which represents how we are interacting with the people around us, goes back to the chesed again, right? We dress in a way to demonstrate how we wish to be interacting with those around us. Mm -hmm. So tearing the clothing shows that there's something broken or torn in our relationship with those around us. Somebody's missing. Somebody, a part of our relationship with those around us is now lost. And therefore, the, the clothing is torn. Okay. Could you say that one more time, please? Yeah. He says, a tear has been made in the outward relations of people. It symbolizes it symbolizes it. You know, when it's funny, when I was growing up, um, 
the rabbi that, that I heard a lot from in the place where I grew up spoke very much about symbols as not being important because symbol in English uh, means it isn't real. Mm -hmm. It's only a symbol, mm -hmm. right? It's like you're saying it, but you don't really mean it. But the way Rev Hirsch explains about symbols is something completely different. Mm -hmm. When... There's a pasuk in Shir Hashirim. Uh, you're not supposed to quote a pasuk unless you have it in front of you, and this is why, because you might make a mistake. When, when you're feeling tremendous love, it isn't complete, which means until it's desired, but it also can mean until it's embodied in a chayfetz, in a thing. Mm -hmm. So we've spoken about the world as uh, there's a process of reality, moving from will to creation and intellect to formation and emotion and to actualization and physical expression of what is the will. It's also true of how we function. It's not just how Hashem delivers his will into the world and creates things. It is true of the creation of the world. But when I have something in my mind or in my heart, when you feel an emotion, it feels like it will last forever. But it doesn't. Emotions do not last. They come and go like waves. When you have a feeling, it isn't complete until it is embodied or concretized into something physical. So when a person is mourning and then they rip the clothing, you've made a physical action. There is now a physical representation in the world of the feeling, of the, the cognitive process, of where you're going with it, of the will and the free choice, is now embodied in something physical. It is very important that we take action based on our inspiration even if it's a sad inspiration like grief. All emotion, we want to, when we get it to the point of inspiration and dedication, we want to turn it into something physical because that's what gives it permanence. It's a very interesting, it's not quite a paradox, but, right, because the physical world is, is in a way the least real. <laughs> the true reality is God's will. Not, I mean, it's expressed like this, you know. We need to make things into physical symbols. That's what makes it real. So a symbol, mm -hmm. rather than being an empty you know, lip service about something that isn't real, the purpose of what you would really call a symbol right, is, is to concretize and make permanent our moments of inspiration. Mm -hmm. So when a person feels inspired and says, you know, thank you, Rabbi and, and we feel so full of gratitude, what can I do? for God, and we turn that into, at the very least, words, and hopefully a commitment. It can be something very small. Like, I will add this one bracha to my davening every day. Or, I will not eat some certain thing. Or, I will do, right? I'll write a letter to somebody. I'll do a chesed for somebody. I feel God is doing chesed for me. Let me do a chesed for somebody. I turn it into something actualized and physicalized, then I can make it last forever. And then when I see that thing or do that thing, it recalls to me that I had that feeling because the feeling won't last. So it's, this is a, a, it's not only a powerful tool, it is the powerful tool. It's, this is 
what it means in one, one aspect of what the Shla is saying, the body is the clothing of the soul. Our soul cannot act here. Our body is here to serve the soul. When, the soul, when there is inspiration for the soul, when there is a mitzvah to help the soul, the body is here as the tool. It's got to be something your body can do. You make your body do it, and now you've caused it permanence. You've caused something that will last. So this, there's a very big difference between the way the word symbol is used in English, which has come to mean an empty. Right. It almost implies the word empty when you say symbol. It was just a symbolic action. right? They're trying to make me feel better, but they don't really mean it. And I, I don't even know what the word is, realization, making something real, right? This is, the Torah is telling us, like, this is, like, the basis of everything. We see something, we pick up a lulav, we pick up an esrog, and what we see in that, it, it focuses us on the inner avoda. It reminds us of how we felt. It reminds us of the mitzvah. It reminds us of connecting to God. Obviously, if you just pick up a little of an esrog and you're not thinking about doing a mitzvah, you're not thinking about connecting to Hashem, you're not thinking about bringing Klai Yisrael together, so what did you, okay, yeah, you did a mitzvah. That's empty, right? The, what you're supposed to do is use the physical actions to recall you to the focus on the spiritual, right? So when you have an inspiration, you have turn it into something physical, whether it's on a one-time basis or an ongoing day, turn it into something. And then when you go back to that thing, every time you touch it, every time you pick it up, you know, <laughs> okay, one last thing, because now it's late, now we have to finish. Um, Rabbi Goldberg spoke about Rabbi Akiva, and he gave that as an example, right, last week, of over time, something that has an effect over time. So two summers ago, I was in Israel, and I went with my son to Caesarea. Caesarea is a Roman city in Israel. It's, I mean, there is actually a city still around there, but the original city is obviously an abandoned you know, site. It's a very beautiful but empty Roman city. Um, it's also the city where Rabbi Akiva was martyred. All right, so there we were. We're in the city where Rabbi Akiva was killed by the Romans. And it's right, it's on the beach. It's this incredible beach, you know, and you've got like sort of where the king's palace was and... He had like this sort of swimming pool built into the ocean. And, okay. So we're walking down near there, and I picked up a rock. And the rock is full of holes. I mean, you can see right through some of these holes. So here I am. And on the one hand, I see around me, Rabbi Akiva's been killed. But he's alive. He's more alive. Is there a day that goes by that we're not constantly quoting Rabbi Akiva? If I pick up a stone with holes in it, and I don't remember what Rabbi Akiva said, that, that how many years does it take for the water, the soft water, to go against the stone? And somehow it gets through, so the words of Torah will also, they're soft, but they'll break through my heart. Right? The Romans, where are the Romans? No Romans. Is there something I, I quote every day to remember? No. So here I am in the ruins of this Roman city. They killed Rabbi Akiva, but they couldn't really kill him. And I kept the stone. Why did I keep the stone? Because it was a moment of, with really, for me, a lot of meaning and a lot of inspiration. And when I look at the stone, I remember it. Does the stone have deep meaning? It's not that the stone has deep meaning. It's that I connect something in my physical world, and I connect it to the spiritual inspiration. Now that, I didn't create the stone. If I actually worked for years setting up like a system with, with water dripping onto a stone until I made a hole in it, I would feel even more connected. <laughs> this I just picked up. 
right? When I, if I do the action, if I do a mitzvah, obviously I'm going to feel even more infused and connected into that physical side of it. But that's the purpose of the world is to help connect me and focus me to God. When he says tearing clothing shows, it shows what happened inside of me. What happened inside of me is that is something that is the same as what happened when I tear the clothes. My clothes is something that, that helps me to relate to the people around me and helps them to relate to me. In the same way that the clothes are torn, so something inside of me got torn. The way that I can relate to this person got torn. The, person, the person's really not gone, right? The parent, the child, the, the sibling, they're still, they're still, their soul goes on. But my ability to relate to them right now, that's been torn. And when I tear the clothing, I put that into the physical world. I express what's going on inside of me into my physical world. And it helps me to connect to it. And it helps me in the future to connect to it. And this, you know, the word beged, you probably notice is Bez Gimel Dalet, right? It's three letters in a row going upward. That's a sign of rachamim. Words that go up Beis Gimel Dalid are connected with the midah of rachamim. Oh, Words order. that go downward in the order of Aleph Beis are related to midah sadin. But Begit is actually related to midah sarachamim. Okay. So we'll stop here. It looks like we're going to get what, at least one more, not, not at least, hopefully one more session. On clothing, and um, I think next week we're we're on.